Lord, would you do what you have been doing since the creation of the world, stepping into the chaos that we have created of your world and of our lives and bring order and peace today. And so awaken hearts and minds today, Jesus, that no one would miss connecting with you, Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Well, I found myself, like probably a lot of you, last week watching football. And when I heard the theme song for football on Sunday night, I don't think that thing has changed in my lifetime. It's still the same thing. And I, I, there was something in my spirit that just made my heart sink. And my first thought was, well, that's because I grew up in Detroit and I'm a Lions fan. And so like football uh, just always brings that like, oh, here's another loss and here's what we're doing again. But it was really more than that. And the more I thought about that, I'm like, oh, I know what that feeling is, that feeling of dread when that song came on. Because I know when football is over, that means my procrastination also is over because Sunday night means I've finally got to do my homework that I didn't do on Friday or Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And now I'm going to be up late doing homework because that's what I did. And I was one of those who put everything off to the last minute. You got a science fair project? No problem. The night before is a great time to start your science fair project. And sure enough, you can get those things done if you work hard enough. You got a paper? No problem. Stay up all night and write the paper. No reason to do that far in advance. And that's sort of the way I went through my school career, unfortunately. I don't recommend that for any of you um, to do that. And I got to college at one point, and I was almost bragging to a friend of mine. Um, he's, he's like, wow, you stayed up all night? You didn't start that paper, and you got it done? And wow, that's amazing. And I'm like, oh, no, that's because I work best under pressure. And you ever have a moment where God just sort of whispers something different in your ear when you're saying something <laughs> And I, I heard him say, John, it's, you don't work best under pressure. You only work under pressure. Like, and this is not a good way to go through life. And I remember thinking, wow, there, maybe there is a better way. And boy, I did a complete 180 through college and said, I'm going to get things done early and not have to fret about it. And the anxiety goes away. But it was amazing when that football song came on, I could still feel that pit in my stomach of like, what did I forget to do? You'd think I'd learn from mistakes, um, and you'd think I would have gotten better, and it took a long time, and God whispering my ear to, to make me get better. But that's sort of what we all do with mistakes. In fact, we can just try to make all the mistakes ourselves, and this is why I love what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She goes, you know, go right ahead and learn from the mistakes of others, because you can't live long enough to make them all yourself. There's some wisdom behind that idea that we really should learn from the mistakes of others. But it made me think, not only um, is it about making mistakes, because we all make mistakes. Nobody gets through life and doesn't make mistakes. But why do we make the same mistakes over and over and over again? And this is where I thought of uh, my own life and things that I've done and things that I just have kept repeating over and over again. And, and what is that? And so I, I did a little bit of research and I came across a very interesting article. And this author called that thing where you keep doing the same thing over and over again. He said, the reason you do this is because it's the ego effect. And this ego effect, what it is, it suggests that you're prone to making the same mistakes over and over again when you protect your beliefs. In other words, there's no way I'm wrong. Instead of learning from your mistakes, oh, maybe I was wrong, and changing your beliefs in response to conflicting evidence, oh, no, I'm absolutely wrong. 
When my wife and I moved here from California, we bought some property, about four acres, and just absolutely love it. Um, but what comes with that is then you've got to maintain the yard and everything that goes with that. And so we bought a tractor, one of the first things we did. And uh, one of the first things I did um, using that tractor was running over stumps and rocks and things like that and breaking blades on a fairly consistent, regular basis. Like it seemed every other time I mowed the yard, um, I was replacing a blade to the point I had a plethora of blades in my garage. I would buy them in bulk because I just wanted to have them on hand there. Now you think, you're like, well, maybe you should stop and consider why you keep breaking all the blades and not just keep replacing them uh, every other week that you're mowing the lawn. And at some point, I'm not sure if my wife went and talked to my neighbor, but he came over to me and he said, John, I don't know if you want to or if you need it, but I bought a stump remover and rented it and I've got it for another day and I'm done. If you would like to use it and get rid of some of the stumps in your yard, it's yours if you want to borrow that. And I thought, huh, interesting. So I went and grinded all the stumps that I had been doing that. Now, why didn't I do that a lot earlier? Uh, Because that was a lot easier than trying to get rid of all those stumps one blade at a time. That was not a really good way to do that. Why did I do that? Well, it's the ego effect. That's why I do that. And that's why you do it. And this is why history has done this all of the time. Our egos get in the way of this. And this is also true in our text for today. So if you've got a Bible and want to take a look at this, we're going to dive into uh, Exodus chapter 17. And we've been in this series called uh, Order in the Chaos. We started this at the beginning of January. If you've missed any of these, encourage you to go back to our website at stjohnmansfield.org, go to our YouTube page or Facebook page, and you can get access to these messages because we saw this theme as we began in the very beginning of Genesis, where this is what God does. He steps into the chaos that we've made, and he brings order, and he brings peace. And so that's what we want to take a look at today. And so in Exodus chapter 17, verse 4, this, if you're following the reading, we've got over 300 people who are doing reading through the Bible in a year together. There's still time. It's still early enough in January. If you want to be a part of that, turn over on the backside of your worship folder. There's information there on how to get involved and join over 300 people that are reading through the scriptures in a day. This is your reading that you would have read this morning or you'll read this afternoon or this evening before you go to bed. Um, and I want to just take a look at a couple of these verses. Take a look at verse four. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now notice the phraseology, these people. They're not my people, Moses. Uh, I'm not claiming these people. These people, they're not my people anymore. I know I'm the leader, but I'm not claiming these people. He doesn't even say God's people. These are your people, God. It's like, no, these are just these people. Now, this is how bad it has gotten and how frustrated Moses is. You ever do that as a parent? Look at what your kid did. I thought thought this was our kid that was here. No, this is definitely your side of the family. This is your kid that's doing that. This is sort of what Moses is doing. I'm not claiming um, these people anymore. These are just these people. This is how bad it has gotten. These people. Now, you think they would have known better, and they really should have known better. Just to give you just a little bit of history of what they've been through, uh, they were in Egypt for 430 years. It started really, really well. 
but it went south pretty quickly when there was a new pharaoh and they realized all these foreigners, these Israelites were getting very prosperous and they were um, being um, just blessed beyond measure and their numbers were increasing and their riches were increasing. And so they decided to put them into slavery. That's one way to quash a group of people and to keep them under your thumb so they don't take over your country. So they enslaved them and they began to cry out to God to deliver them. And after 430 years, God sends Moses to deliver them. Now, Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go because he's got free slave labor. And so Moses said, what am I going to do? And God says, oh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and we are going to be showing some miraculous signs and wonders. These are the plagues that go through. And it culminates in finally the last one where Pharaoh finally lets the people go, and it's the Passover where the Israelites put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and the angel of death would pass over them and the angel of death would visit all of the Egyptians and all the firstborn of the Egyptians would die, sort of reversing what Pharaoh did to all the firstborn of the Israelites when he was putting them to death to quite quash their numbers. And so Pharaoh says, go. And so Moses leads the people out. And you think after those plagues, that they would know better than to grumble against God, that God will take care of them. But they get to the sea, and they get to the sea, and like, well, great, now which direction do we go? And then they look behind them, and they're hearing Pharaoh's army, and then they see Pharaoh's army and all the chariots coming after them, and they began to grumble. Oh, great. Thank you, Moses. This is great. So we get to be killed out in the wilderness now. Wonderful plan. Thank you very much. Moses stretches out his hand, and the sea parts, and they cross on dry land. And then as they get across and Pharaoh and his army is chasing them and all their chariots, Moses takes his hand and all the waters flood over them and Pharaoh and his army are destroyed and drowned in the sea. And they break out into this beautiful song. It's the first worship song in the Bible. Um, Pharaoh and his army had been drowned in the sea. Sounds like a number one hit. And that's what they were singing. You think they would know better but they forgot. And so they get to Mara. And Mara um, is a place where there is a, a lake and it's bitter water because it's called Mara. Mara means bitter in Hebrew. So what are the odds that this lake called Mara would actually be Mara, bitter? But they're like, oh, great. We got all this water, but we can't drink it. It's too bitter. And they complain to Moses and Moses sighs, and God tells him, take a piece of wood and throw this piece of wood into the water, and it becomes sweet, and all of them are able to drink it again. What are the odds that just a piece of wood would transform everything? you think they would know better. We're starving out here where there's nothing to eat. At least in Egypt, we could eat over there. Why did you bring us out here to starve to death, Moses? Great plan. And they grumble against Moses and against God. And God says, I'm going to provide uh, manna, food, um, bread on the ground. So when the dew lifts up, there's going to be enough bread there for all of you to eat. And so they go out and eat. Like, oh, we're tired of bread. We don't want bread. We want some meat. And so fine, I'm going to bring you quail. And quail miraculously comes in. And so they have bread in the morning and quail at night. You think they would know better. And so now they get in the desert of sin as they camped at Rephidim. And like, there's no water here, Moses. We're going to die again. And they grumbled against Moses. You think they would know better. And here's a lesson I think that's important for us because these are not just these people. We're these people. We do the same thing over and over. And why do we do the same thing over and over again? Because we forget 
that remembering history matters, or maybe better said, his story matters. This is one of the great things about following Jesus for a long period of time, is you see the faithfulness over the years. And it's easier to remember God's faithfulness when you've seen it over your lifetime. It's one of the, probably one of the best things about getting old is you've got more history (laughs) to fall back on and to remember, oh yeah, this isn't that big of a deal. We need to remember God's history and how he's intervened in all these situations because inevitably chaos comes to our life. All of us have been in moments of chaos. And so often what happens in that chaos is then if we're in it long enough and it's bad enough, all we can see is the chaos. And it's almost like you get tunnel vision. And that's really where depression comes from, that I can't see anything but the problem. That's all I'm focusing on and all I can see. And this is where we need community around us to remind us of his story, to remind us that God is faithful, that God still steps into the chaos and he's going to bring you out of that chaos. This is what God does. And so often he has to allow some of that chaos to happen in our life because we've been building our lives on the wrong thing. So let me just ask you, what, what are you building your life on, by the way? You ever stop and think about that? What am I building my life on? Am I, am I building my life on as long as everything is smooth? That's what I'm shooting for. Everything goes good. And as long as everything feels good, uh, it is good. Is that what you're building? Are you building your life on the American dream? And as long as I've got a house and I got a car, I got some money in the bank account, I got a 401k and I can retire and just take it easy. Is that what you're building your life on? Or are you building your life on, on something that ultimately doesn't satisfy? You thought it was going to satisfy and you chased after it and then you got it. And you're like, wow, this isn't really satisfying. Maybe there's something else and you chase after something else and then you chase after something else and you chase after something else only to find that doesn't satisfy either. It's like water that you drink and then immediately after you're still thirsty. This is where I love following Jesus because Jesus asks us good questions. There's a time where Jesus shows up in Samaria and he goes to a well in the middle of the afternoon in the heat of the day and he sends the disciples away and he's sitting there at the well and this woman comes to him at the well and Jesus says, hey, can you get me some water and why are you talking to me? Because men don't talk to women and plus you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we don't mix, you shouldn't be talking to me. And and John records this conversation, which I think is brilliant, of what he says to her. So catch this. Everyone who drinks this water from this well that we're sitting at right now and having this conversation is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, if Jesus showed up and said that to you, What's your response? I'd sort of like that water. Boy, that would be great to go through life and and not feel like whatever I'm chasing after ultimately is not going to satisfy. I I would love to get to that point. So what, what does the woman say in this scenario? The very next verse tells us, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She sort of got it. What she was feeling was the shame and guilt. That's why she was going at noontime, because she had been married several, multiple times and was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. That's why she's going there at noon, because nobody, she doesn't have to interact with anybody. 
And I can just go with my own shame and my own guilt and show up here. Because every time I go in the community, I can feel the glances. I can hear the whispers. I can hear the gossip. And I don't want to have to deal with that. And so when Jesus offers her, hey, anybody who comes and drinks this water is never, oh, that would be wonderful. I never have to go out in public again. Wonderful. She almost got it. And I think most of us almost get Jesus too. We don't just fully embrace what Jesus wants to do. And so what does God do with this woman at the well? A repeat offender. She keeps making the same mistake over and over. What does God do with you? A repeat offender who keeps making the same mistake over and over and over again. Well, here's what God will do. Um, God will test you. This is what he does. Now, God doesn't tempt you. That's not God's business. The Bible's really clear. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he will test you. And he brings those along in your life. And the purpose of the test is not so God knows what your grade is. God knows what your grade is. God knows your weaknesses. God knows what you're going to choose. The test is not for God. The test is for you. Like Abraham. We read that if those of you are reading through the Bible. And he takes Isaac up on the altar. And God said, I did this to test him. Now why? Did God not know? Of course God knew what Abraham was going to do. So who is the test for if it's not for God? Well, the test was for Abraham. And I imagine for Isaac, because I was reading through that story again, I thought I was trying to look at it from Isaac's vantage point. Okay, God, um, Dad, I guess it's all right if you tie me up and lay me here on the altar and I see you raising a knife and I guess this is the end of my life. Okay, I I trust you. And then he hears an angel appear. No, don't do it. (laughs) Let him go. And then they get the ram. I I can't imagine how that transformed Isaac's faith. That boy, there's a God who provides. This is who our God is. Remember when I was a sophomore in high school, we were going on a band trip um, from Michigan down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a, a music festival down there. And, and I'm on the bus, and this shows you my age, I had the Walkman, you know, with the batteries, and I'm listening to, you know, music on the way down. And at some point, the batteries die. You're like, oh, man, I didn't think enough to put more batteries in my backpack. And so now I'm just sitting there on the bus all by myself, and everybody else is listening to their music and doing their own thing, and I'm sitting in a seat by myself, just bored to tears, like, what am I going to do now? And as I'm watching cars and trees go by, I heard God speak. And I know this is the second time I've talked about God speaking to me. And you're like, wow, you're really weird. Now, it doesn't happen all the time to me. um, But boy, when God did it, it really does get my attention. So I'm on this bus and I hear God say, John, I'm like, wow, okay, that's a little weird. Yes. And he said, you're going to have a couple tests to face on this trip. Okay. (laughs) Um, There's going to be two in particular. One is going to be around drinking. And the other one is going to be around girls. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, well, that sounds like a pretty easy test. My parents had given me sips of alcohol before, and I hated it. It was the worst thing I ever tasted in my life. I'm like, that's not going to be a problem. That's not a problem at all. And and girls are really not going to be a problem because I asked a girl to go to our freshman uh, homecoming, and she said no. And I said, that's the last time I'm ever going to do that again. So that's not going to be a problem at all. And so the last day we're there, my roommate and I, we went down to a little store because that's sort of our family tradition. You buy little trinkets from the place you go visit, and you bring them home. And so we went out shopping. We come back to our room, and our room is full of upperclassmen. Like, hey, what are you guys doing in your room? Well, they don't expect anything from you guys, so we're hanging out in here. How'd you get in our room? It doesn't matter. We're just in your room. Here, drink this. I'm like, what is it? Well, just don't be a baby. Just take it and drink it. And I'm like, okay. And I sort of look, and I take a sip, and I realize it's alcohol. And I'm like, and I'm waiting now for a rooster to crow like Peter in the garden of Gethsemane. And I 
threw it down on the ground. And I run outside to our balcony because I'm like, I got to get away. And I don't know what to do with this in this moment because the guilt is there. And I'm like, what did I do? God even told me it was there. And I'm out on the patio. I thought by myself sitting out there and thinking, man, what on earth just happened? And, and all of a sudden I hear a voice and, hey, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I don't know. And like, what, what are you doing out here? I'm like, I'm just thinking. What are you thinking about? I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm a 15 year old brain trying to have a conversation with myself and she's interrupting me. She goes, well, here, sit down. We can talk together. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. It just, I didn't know how to explain what had happened and the bus ride. And I thought it was just too weird to explain to a high school. And before I knew it, um, she just pushed into me and began kissing me. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is number two. And I sort of push her back. And I'm like, I have failed two tests. And I run out of our room and down the street. My room, like, where are you going? I'm like, I got to get out of here. I'll be back later. I'm like, I failed. You even told me what the test was going to be, and I failed. And I remember the the guilt and and the shame of of that moment. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad that God gives makeup exams. And this is what God does. God tests us in these moments. He did this with the Israelites too, by the way, just a chapter before, just to give you one verse of what took place with the manna in heaven when they're complaining about nothing to eat. Here's what God said, the way God set this up. He said, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read it yet, they don't. And a bunch of them gather more than they're supposed to, and it turns moldy, and there's maggots involved, and just sort of this crazy scene. He did it to test them. God knew what they were going to do, but he just wants to teach them. Are you going to live your life trusting me, or are you going to live your life trusting yourself? Test them. And so what happens when you fail a test? Well, God will give you a makeup test. What it feels like, though, is trouble, because trouble follows a failed test. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because I think for some people, they feel that boy, when I fail a test that God must be punishing me. And let me just make this really, really clear. If that's you, if you feel like you're at a season of your life where God is punishing you, God isn't punishing you. God is done punishing sin. God did that once and for all on a cross. Jesus took the punishment for your sin once and for all. God doesn't need to punish sin anymore because there's no sin to punish because all the sins you've already committed, all the ones you're committing right now, all the ones you're gonna commit when you walk out of here, all the ones you're gonna commit tomorrow, God has paid for all of those. The punishment has already been dished out on Jesus on that cross. He took the wrath of God in your place. So God is not punishing you anymore. It feels like trouble. But what it really is, is a makeup exam. And God is giving you an opportunity again. Will you trust me again? And let's try this again. Look at verse eight of Exodus chapter 17. So they've been grumbling about this water and provides it miraculously out of a rock. And then right after this, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Right where they had been camping, here they come, and they got to be thinking, oh, great, so we got water now, but now we've got an army coming against us. Oh, wonderful, what is this? And God must have been screaming, it's a makeup exam. You failed the first one, let's see if you're going to pass this one, if you're going to trust me in this or not. Verse 
Let me ask you, when, when you're facing a makeup exam, when you feel like you're being punished or you feel this trouble in my life that I've got to go through this testing yet again, who do you look to in times of trouble? Or maybe what do you look to in, in times of trouble? And so as you think about that question, look at what the Israelites did. Exodus chapter 17, look at verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands... The Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Sort of a strange scene, don't you think? They're up on this mountain. They're like, wow, that's interesting. I guess you got a good vantage point of the battle. And Moses is like, oh, no, I'm not up here to get a good view of the battle. I'm up here to intercede for you. And he holds out his hands, and he's praying for God to intervene. And as he's lifting up his hands, they're winning. When he gets tired and puts his arms down for a minute, the Amalekites are winning. Ah. <sighs> I wonder how long it took him to figure out that pattern. I wonder if they figured out that pattern. Hey, look, every time Moses has his hands up, we get the upper hand. Every time he puts them down, we're losing. <laughs> Aaron and her got it. They knew the importance of lifting that up. But I think there's so much more in this story. What did they see from the battlefield, from the valley? They see Moses, their leader arms stretched out. And when his arms are stretched out, they're winning. I wonder if 1,500 years later, if they got it, as they looked at another hill and they saw Jesus, their leader, with their arms stretched out. I know what this means. It looks like defeat. really victory. Remember Moses? This was a victory stance. And the cross looks like you've been defeated, but it really is victory. None of them got it. None of the disciples got it. You have an opportunity to get it. Because the cross is victory for you. It's victory for me. Jesus' arms stretched out wide means that he has stepped into your chaos and he's paid for all of your mistakes, all of your failures, all of your shame, all of your guilt has been taken away. Well, what if I keep making the same mistake over and over? Jesus was enough. This is victory. You don't have to do anything on your own anymore. And so maybe the best thing we can do today is to look to him, look up at the hill and see his outstretched arms and know the compassion and love and mercy that God has for you. 
And maybe the best thing we can do is, is pray this prayer that I wrote down as we're putting the series together. And I said, I want this to be my theme for the series. And, and I really want it to be your theme as well. Just a very simple prayer. Lord, would you step into the chaos of my life and would you bring order? Lord, would you step in to the chaos of my life when I make the same mistake over and over and over? Would you bring order? Lord, would you step in to the chaos of my life and bring order? And if you believe that we worship a God who is still doing that today, stepping into the chaos and bringing order, then I want to invite you to join with Christians around the world today as we declare what we believe to be true 